Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I am your hostess, Rebecca David, and this is the space between the picket lines where we talk about all things pro-life, but we come at it using only facts and provable data. Now, in the last episode, we covered part two of the human trafficking connection, which focused specifically on aborted fetal body parts trafficking and how it relates to the abortion industry. This week, we are going to take a look at the my body, my choice, or as some call it, the bodily autonomy argument, and I'm going to explain to you why it really does not make much sense at all. So thank you very kindly for being willing to join me on this journey. Now, to start things off, fun fact for you, the very first person to coin my body, my choice was actually a man by the name of Donatine Alphonse Francois. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, he was the Marquis de Sade. He was a French nobleman, revolutionary, politician, philosopher, and writer. And he was famous for his libertine sexuality, which just is a fancy way of saying that he was a man of virtually no restraint in that category. Now, before we get too far in, I'm going to point out that I actually have another episode in this series that touches on today's concept while also delving much further into some other things. It's the proofs of humanity argument uh, episode, and it's a bit further earlier in um, in the playlist. And now the pivotal question, what does bodily autonomy actually entail? Interestingly, Merriam-Webster had no definition for the phrase bodily autonomy, so I had to get a little bit creative. It defines autonomy as the quality or state of being self-governing. And then it defines body as a human being or a person. So if we combine those two, then bodily autonomy is defined as the self-governance that a human person has over him or herself, which seems pretty straightforward, right? So you as a human being and I as a human being get to say what happens to us personally and what doesn't happen to us. We get to make that choice. And this is why violations of bodily autonomy, such as but not limited to rape or being beaten against your will or a whole plethora of other really terrible things are considered to be so horrendous. Because when those things occur, somebody who is not you is choosing to do harm to you against your will. And that is a direct violation of your right to self-governance. But the catch is that in the same way that you have bodily autonomy over yourself, so does everybody else. Now, this includes segments of the population that we might not commonly think about in terms of bodily autonomy, such as the voiceless and the disabled. So allow me to give some examples of this. Say that there is a person who is deaf or mute or has some other hindrance which makes communication either difficult or potentially even impossible. A great example of this from history is Helen Keller. You would still grant her her bodily autonomy or others like her. By way of another example, take someone who has some incredible deformity which causes them to be reliant on others for care. Maybe they have cerebral palsy, or they're a paraplegic, or maybe they're missing some limbs. There could be any number of options for this. A great example of this one is Stephen Hawking's. Now, he and others like him are also granted bodily autonomy. So it is not just how you yourself should be treated, but also how everyone around you should be treated. It is not a question of convenience, but rather one of equality. 
So either the scale exists all the way across the spectrum, or it does not exist at all. Which means that if we can prove that the life growing inside of a womb is a human being, then that human being has the same right to bodily autonomy that you and I do. Now, as it just so happens, the first three episodes that I have in this series actually go about proving that exact fact. Now, now, now let me take it a step further for you. Human Life International has an incredible article regarding the top three reasons why people use the my body, my choice argument in regards to aborting the preborn child. The first is that the, the fetus or the unborn child relies on the mother completely for its existence. The second is that the fetus is inside her body, therefore it is part of her body. And the third is that the fetus is a parasite. Now, on the surface, these arguments seem virtually insurmountable. They'll give you a pause to think about their merit. The article goes on to give some counter-arguments, and while you're taking that pause, allow me to offer the summarized version with a little bit of my own flair. So counter-argument number one, which battles against the idea that the fetus or the unborn child relies on the mother completely for its existence. Now, this one isn't so much a refutation, more along the lines of a let's take this thinking further. While it's true that the unborn child relies on the mother completely for its existence, the same thing is true for basically all of that child or that, 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 that person's childhood after they're born and much of their formative years. In fact, a parent's responsibility to care for their children until those children can adequately care for themselves is so pivotal that things like abandonment and maltreatment and abuse of any kind are punishable by jail time and fees and the children being removed from the home to be placed with parents who will care for them properly. Carrying this one step further, I'm currently in college, so I know quite a few grown individuals, and by grown here I'm, I'm looking at uh, the legal definition, which is 18 years or older, and these people would be virtually incapable of operating in the adult world without relying almost completely on their parents. See, a child's all-encompassing need for parental help and supervision and guidance does not suddenly cease once they exit the womb. In fact, you could argue that it just becomes more so. And just as it would be wrong to murder a child post-birth because of their reliance on their parent, it is also wrong within the womb. Counter-argument number two, and this one battles the concept that since the fetus is in the mother's body, that it makes it part of her body. Now, as I stated earlier, I have an entire episode detailing all the reasons why this is not true, and I encourage you to go listen to that afterwards. But the short version is as follows. The baby in utero, which the scientific term for that stage of development is fetus. So it sounds weird, but that's just another way of saying the baby in utero. This baby has his or her, his or her own thumbprint, uh, human DNA, cellular reproductivity, human parentage, brain activity, genitalia, and the potential of a variance in blood type. And as a prime example of this, I actually have a different blood type than my biological mother does. Now, the reason why this is important is because when a baby is inside of the womb, if the baby's blood and the mother's blood mixed together, it actually creates an incredibly deadly situation for both of them because that's not the same blood and the body recognizes it as a foreign thing which needs to be fought off. So having a variance in blood type is super important. To put it another way, 
if that baby were to be tested, even in the womb, his or her genetic markers and physical attributes would be distinguishable and noticeably different from the mother's. And if the two are distinguishable and noticeably different, then that must mean that they are not the same. And since they are not the same, bodily autonomy kicks into gear. Forget another way to reimagine it. I knew a woman who got pregnant with identical twin boys. If those boys, or sorry, yeah, if those boys had been part of her body, she would have spontaneously had two sets of male genitalia, 20 extra fingers, 20 extra toes, and multiples of every internal organ, but only for nine months. Obviously, that is ridiculous. Those two boys were not only separate humans from her, but they were also separate humans from one another. Once again, bodily autonomy kicks into gear. Counterargument number three. This one has to do with the fact that the fetus is a parasite, as the pro-choice argument goes. Now, before we get into the counterargument, I'd like to take a minute and pause and think on the fact I find it utterly fascinating that the pro-choice world has this incessant need to dehumanize the preborn child by calling it such things as a parasite. I think that the reason for this is because the second that the child is not actively dehumanized, it becomes impossible to ignore the reality that you cannot unhuman a human. And that carries a lot of weight, especially for women who feel as though they're facing an impossible situation. So, back to the preborn child being a quote-unquote parasite. First, by calling the child a parasite, you are forced to acknowledge that it is separate from the mother, because a parasite, by definition, cannot feed off of itself. It has to be a biologically distinct organism that has attached itself to another biologically distinct organism. The next part comes from actualthinking.com. It lies within something called a corollary, which is just fancy speak for a deduction or an inference or the natural progression of something. And it goes like this. While you can kill a non-human life that is living off of a human, which is what most people think of when they think of a parasite, you cannot kill a human life that is living off of another human because that second human life has a right to life which loops back in to bodily autonomy. Additionally, with a regular animal parasite, you did not consent to its presence. But the overwhelming majority of pregnancies occur through willing and consensual intercourse between two people. Now you see, the only way to absolutely guarantee that there will not be a pregnancy is by not engaging in sexual activity. I know it's an unpopular idea in 2022, but nonetheless, it is a reality. Otherwise, you know the risk that you are possibly taking. I'm not saying you think it's a high level of risk, but you know that there's a possibility. A different way of thinking about this is that you cannot participate in a dangerous activity knowing that you could hurt yourself and then argue that because you did not want to hurt yourself that you're not responsible if you do. Any logical person would call that absurd. The same thing applies here. If you are willing to take the risk of doing something that would create someone who needs to live off of you, you cannot then argue that you can kill that person due to them being parasitic. So to sum things up, you have bodily autonomy. You as an individual, you do. You absolutely have bodily autonomy. But so does every other human on the planet, including the ones who are in the womb. 
So either the standard applies all the way across the spectrum or it does not apply to anyone at all. If you want bodily autonomy, and I don't know a single person who doesn't, myself included, then you should be willing to apply that same deference to the most helpless among us, aka the preborn child. And now for this week's book recommendation. It is called Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments. It was written by Randy Alcorn, and that might sound familiar to you because I have referenced his work in past videos, but now I am actually actively recommending that you read it. It delves far more into not just the bodily autonomy argument, but so many more things. You can find it in all of the usual places. Now up next, my favorite part of the episode. If you are facing a crisis or an unplanned or even an unwanted pregnancy, or maybe you know somebody who is, possibly you might have questions and you want to talk with me, please reach out whatever your set of circumstances are. Whoever you are, I can connect you to the proper resources and answer any queries that you might have. On Facebook, I am Bex David, that's B-E-X like X-ray, and then David like the biblical king. And on everything else, I am proudly pro-life Gen Z woman, all lowercase, all smooshed together. And now for what's coming up next week. We are going to look at the reality of miscarriage. It's absolutely a sad topic, but I think it's going to be really helpful to shed a light on what happens to a woman when she loses a child in the womb that she did not want to lose. For now, Have a fantastic and blessed and safe rest of your week. Never forget how precious and beautiful and loved you are in the eyes of our Savior. And I challenge you to live as though it is true because it will completely revolutionize your world. Let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. God bless and I'll see you next week.